This week on the Magnificently Huge Podcast, we travel back to a time when we were all jonesing for some Star Wars, and this was all we could get. Welcome to the Magnificently Huge Podcast with your hosts, Eric Reed, Brian Kruger, and Chris Ryerson. Three idiots who decided to slap an adverb together with an adjective to bring you one magnificently huge discussion each week about the movies and pop culture we kind of like, maybe even secretly love before we ultimately crab all over them. We're not here to save the world, we're just here to make it weirder, one podcast at a time. This is Magnificently Huge. Welcome everyone to the Magnificently Huge podcast. My name is Brian, and this week my friends Eric and Chris are going to join me, and we're going to talk about, well, the days when we were Jonesing. So... Here's the thing, before there was YouTube, before there was cable, before there was VHS, there was just the movies and what they would put on television. So when a movie came out and it left the theaters, it was gone. You couldn't watch it again. You, you either saw it in the theater, or you waited for it to come on television, or you hoped they'd bring it back to the theaters, but that was it. You got your movie, everybody saw it around the same time, and then it went away. And... One of those movies was Star Wars. And Star Wars was the kind of movie that no one had seen before. I mean, it's we live in a golden age of genre filmmaking and, and amazing television and all kinds of things on the internet. Everything is instant gratification, but back then, it was like a shot of lightning out of nowhere. And then it went away. And everybody our age was like, but, but... But I need more. I need more of that. Where I need bring it back. And the best you could get was like the Star Wars holiday special, which isn't good. And then, you know, the cash-ins show up. On television we had Battlestar Galactica and Buck Rogers. But there were a whole lot of movies that that were made in the shadow of Star Wars. It was not lost on filmmakers that this was a way to make a buck. And by the late 70s, early 80s, you know, 79, 80 and, and on, um, we saw a whole glut of movies that were like cashing in on people's addiction. People, people wanted more stuff like Star Wars and a lot of inferior things were made. And we're going to start talking about those. This will be episode one in a new series of podcasts. Uh, we have a few series going on on this show, but this will be episode one of the You're Not Star Wars series. Hopefully you like it. Let us know. You can always go to our website, maghuge, M-A-G-H-U-G-E, maghuge.com, where you can find ways to contact us, including our Twitter handle, which is at maghuge, our Facebook page, which is magnificently huge, our Instagram, which is magnificently huge, or you can email us, magnificentlyhuge at gmail.com. But... More importantly, please subscribe to the podcast, share it with your friends on your social media feeds, and give us reviews on iTunes and Stitcher and Google Play, wherever you wherever you can. Okay, enough blather. Let's get to the show. Hey, hey! Ho, ho! Welcome back to the greatest podcast of all time. No hyperbole. Of all time. All infinity. Time. Better than any of the podcasts of the 20s or 30s, certainly. <laughs> uh, the 1820s. Well, hey, everybody. 
Um, how is everybody doing this week? Pretty good. Uh, pretty on? good. It's all right. It's a bit rainy here because of uh, all of the stormage, and uh, it's been really wet. And We've I'm had a lot of rain, too. Oh, it's sorry. been nice. What, who, who, uh, who are you guys? I didn't do names. My name is Brian. I'm sorry. Oh, this is Chris, and I'm the one who's wet, and that's this it. This is Eric. I'm the one in Portland. We're Magnificently Huge, the podcast. So, so you both have rain today because in Phoenix it's 110 damn degrees today, and it's the middle of September. Ha-ha. Yeah, because the sun is an idiot, and <laughs> you still live there. Yeah, uh, that's all I'm gonna say. Uh, yeah. I mean, we <laughs> so all have wrong. lived in uh, you know 100 plus degree weather in Phoenix, but you're the only one who ex- extended his option. Yeah. Well, you know, I have I, I have my reasons. Anyway, uh, how about we do some fresh shit? Yeah. This shit is fresh. Oh, shit. That is fresh. This stuff is really fresh. Who wants to go first? I do. Because this week, I saw a movie that is phenomenal. You've got to go see it. I'm not even kidding. I usually don't like saying go see a movie because it... Usually that means you're not going to like it as much because the recommendation is too strong. But Mandy mm-hmm. is amazing. Oh, we might go see that tomorrow. Oh, see it. Definitely see it in a theater. Uh, I, I, I'm i going to have to see it a couple more times to get everything that was going on. It's one of the smartest movies I've seen in years. But one really? of the simplest. I can break it down really easily. Uh, a lumberjack and his wife live in the forest. They get attacked by uh, a bunch of home-invading religious freaks. And uh, 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 Nicolas Cage goes on a rampage of revenge and destruction. Sounds really easy, but it's all mood and setup and uh, tone. It's so good. Oh, my God. It was two hours long, and it wasn't long enough for me. I wanted to stay there forever. It was just amazing. (laughs) Yeah, was really, really good. Lots of killing, I take it? Well, there's killing in it, but it's... It's a lot more imagery of hell. I, I saw a tweet that said, this is the most heavy metal movie I've ever seen. And I thought, yeah, that's exactly it. I saw the trailer mm. recently, and it sort of had the vibe of, uh, like, anything by that uh, guy Tarsum Singh. It kind of had that flavor, I guess. I thought it just looked... Just because of the saturated colors, or... Or just because looked... of the dream, dreamscape stuff. And then, like, the one with D'Onofrio and uh, Jennifer Lopez. That kind of what it reminded me the of. The Cell. You yeah. know what it was more like? Because, I mean... I heard a lot like David Lynch used, and I'm like, no. The problem with David Lynch is he always has the promise of something bigger going on in the background that isn't really there, because he's not really that smart. Uh, (laughs) This is more like a Jodorowsky film, where it's just intense color, and the story is more about, again, the tone and the presentation than the text. Like like when when he was gonna when Jodorowsky was gonna make Dune he hadn't even read the book he's like I don't even care what it's about I've got an idea <laughs> you know this is this is more mm-hmm. like I've got a simple plot and I'm going to address other things with how I tell that story and it's just ugh I can I, I can't even tell you how much I love this film Nick Cage looks suitably unhinged as well in oh the my god it's the best Nicolas Cage movie I've seen Whoa, I can't remember uh, Lord of War was probably the last movie he was in that I really loved and I, I'm a big Nicolas Cage fan I saw this and I'm like he's, he's seriously a- doing acting his Nicolas Cage-ness works wholly and hmm. completely in this film so he's not just trying to pay some debts 
take anything. I don't think so. Okay. I, I read some interview that because he was in another movie this summer. He works all of the time. He was in another movie this summer called Two One One, which I I guess is about the the North Hollywood bank robbery. I I know nothing about it, and apparently it was total shit. And even he says it's total shit. So he, he makes movies money. still where he's willing to admit, yeah, that was a paycheck. But this is the one where he's like, this is the best work I've done in years, and he's right. All I know is that he's the voice of Superman and Teens Titans go to the movies, and he's one of the Spider-Men in the upcoming Spider-Verse movie. <laughs> so he's getting around. There's a Spider-Verse movie. That's awesome. Have you, you haven't seen the trailers for this? Oh. Into the Spider-Verse? Dude. Okay, go look for that trailer online. They've, they've got this, um, this animation style that's reminiscent of comic art, like using colored dots and stuff uh-huh. and p- parallax, and it's, it's unlike anything you've seen. It, it looks really, really cool. That sounds tight. I will check Spider-Man it out. Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse. Yeah, check out for the trailer. But Mandy's good. All right, I'll get yeah. to see that. I, I, will, I will part with just this. I can't wait for people smarter than me to see it and break it down because I know there's a lot going on in there. I just can't figure it all out. <laughs> well, all I really want to know is, do they use the Barry Manilow song at any point? No, they don't. God damn it. I know. I had the same, th- same thing. I, 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 you came and you saw with, I was, I was humming that like okay. all week, but see, I, I saw this preview for this movie. Like, months ago and i said this is going to be the fucking greatest thing ever and then i found the preview again on a lark like two weeks ago and i was like oh yeah that that's going to be is that out on video yet i'm like oh it's coming out soon oh it's coming here you know i i i freaked out and anytime i want to see a movie that bad it it's almost always a disappointment not so well here's the challenge is that we find the trailer and then we just overdub barry manilow singing mandy yeah and then we re-release it to the web (laughs) okay any other fresh shit from you eric uh no i'm i'm listening to in lieu of reading uh fear the book by uh woodward of woodward and bernstein fame he's watching hell and he's listening to fear yep (laughs) so yeah i'm in a good mood um (laughs) of course the booze helps but it's 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 yeah, it's nothing you don't know. That's all I can okay. say. All right. Yeah, okay. listen to Rachel Maddow. She'll tell you the stuff you need to know from it. I prefer Tucker Carlson. Is it just me? I'm I, kidding. It is just you. <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> what's What's the thing that uh, uh, John... Um, oh, God. Last week tonight, he, he, he had a thing. Oliver. John Oliver. John Oliver had... It was like... Um, right-wing cable news shows like oh that guy who was a dick in college now has a cable tv show with tucker carlson (laughs) (laughs) every time i see him though all i can think about is when john stewart was on a show like back in oh three oh four yeah yeah and he just he basically just stopped he says man you are such a dick he just like said it on his own show it's like man that's that's good i like it's like you got to stop you're hurting america you're hurting America. <laughs> and it's still... And he was right. Yeah. I made a special effort to come on the show today because I have, uh, privately, amongst my friends, and also in occasional newspapers and television shows, <laughs> mentioned uh, this show as being uh, uh, bad. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and 
and, modest. And, and I wanted to, I felt that that wasn't fair, and I should come here and, and tell you that I don't, it's not so much that it's bad as it's hurting America. <laughs> So I, I wanted to but come here today let me, and say, wait, wait, no, I just, no, let me, here, here, here's just one, what I wanted to tell you guys. Yeah. Stop. <laughs> stop, 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 stop hurting America. Okay, now. I, mean, I do think you're more fun on your show, uh, just my opinion. But can, okay, okay just, Jeff, John Stewart goes, you know one on one fans. You're as big a dick on your show as you are on any show. Yeah, well, after that show, CNN said, he is right. We're, I'm taking Crossfire off the air. And from yeah. that, Fox News said, well, we want more. Yeah. Yep. Uh, it 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 kind of worked, except it backfired. Anyway, uh, Chris, you got any fresh shit for us? Uh, my shit is not very fresh this week. Uh, I'm still reading Harry Potter. Uh, I was floored by Prisoner of Azkaban. I thought that was a really good ending with the time mm-hmm. travel stuff. That really was mm. interesting to read. And then, as chance would have it, the cable TVs was showing prisoner of azkaban the other day and i came in right towards the end and so i actually watched the film version of it and the book is better i gotta tell you i saw the film version of it this week it wasn't gonna make my fresh shit list until you said that but um (laughs) they were doing a harry potter marathon leading up to fan the new fantastic beasts movie and we went and saw azkaban okay last week and you know i didn't remember them as being as it's such a trifle you know, yeah, yeah. it's just such a little light and frothy, and and my God, so uh, just just the amount of coincidences that are all in Harry's favor are it's, it's yeah pretty hard to swallow. <laughs> well, I mean, it's it's still a kids' book. That's like when it came out, and everybody's like, "Oh, yeah. I love it so much!" And my kids are finally reading, and I love it so much. And you just look, it's like you're. You're a grown ass person. You really love Harry Potter that much. I mean, it just like the Kool Aid was just pouring out of people, and uh, I could not fathom it. It's one reason I'm reading it now because I just want to kind of uh, observe from within. I guess is the best way to put it. Yeah. And the books think, are enjoyable. Yeah. I don't think I'm giving. The books are better than the movie. I don't think I'm giving anything away, but I believe the the punchline of the whole Harry Potter thing is there is no magical. I don't know, thing hovering over him. It's a coincidence. Anyone could have been the chosen one. Yeah. And so that really right. kind of means they, they set him up <laughs> from the beginning. Yeah. They, well, they picked him as a patsy. Yeah. Well, and knowing what I do from snippets over the years, uh, I'm interested to see how, how obvious it is that Dumbledore is just a fucking dick to him. Yeah. Uh, or if it's sort of underplayed. But this is the one where they start introducing all of the weird elements that sort of make you go, oh, wait, this is this really is a kid's book? Because it's really anti-fascist mm-hmm. uh, in a big way, and it's not subtle at all. And that, yeah, I wasn't really... get to book five. Yeah. That's mm-hmm. now, I'm in Goblet of Fire right now, uh, and they've just chosen their champions for the Triwizard Tournament. I'm really excited mm-hmm. to see how Cedric Diggory does. I know the secret, Eric, though, so don't <laughs> ruin it for anybody else. Yeah. Uh, I... My my favorite part is uh, when they allude to the in the end the defense of the dark arts teacher who gets gang raped by centaurs <laughs> in the shower. <laughs> you think I'm kidding? Wait for uh, it. Wrong book. <laughs> yeah, anyway. yeah. That's that's Harry Pooter. What else you got, Chris? uh, That's pretty much it. And then, just based on our recent show about high school movies, I did go back and rewatch Rushmore again. I hadn't seen it in a long time. It's been a while. That one. (laughs) Been a while. while. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) 
but uh, it still holds up, and I still love it to death. And uh, it's almost as perfect a movie as I'll ever find, personally. Nice. Uh, I need to go back through that episode just because there's like a long list of show ideas that we talk about. <laughs> yeah, we, we need to do a we, show about. We, this. we tend we to do like that. Write them down. Yeah. yeah. Uh, we're actually doing one of those shows today. Yes. Anyway. Woo! I, uh, I, but I yeah. just, every time I see Rushmore, I, I, I when he is burning, he's at the fire next to the school. Yeah. And, and he flips off the principal. I'm like, that was me in high school. That moment was <laughs> yeah, me in yeah. high school. <laughs> exactly. Well, I just like the, the really ornate stage productions that he does because uh, he can't really afford to make a movie version. That's the way I approach it. It's like if he could afford it, he would totally be making movies like that. But yeah. instead he makes these stage so shows. he just is Wes Anderson? Basically. Uh, and then there's, the I guess, the Owen Wilson element. Because the, the funny thing about the movie when you watch it and you've seen it a bunch is it starts in September. And then by October, he's already kicked out of Rushmore and he's in the shitty high school. Uh, <laughs> and he's already co-opted half the student body to help him put on these plays. It's, yeah. like, <laughs> it's just, And they don't even really make it overt. It just sort of happens organically. But then if you step back from it, you're like, holy shit. This kid's a, this, he's a doer. This kid, he's going places. <laughs> if you are a younger Wes Anderson fan discovering the oof of uh, Wes Anderson, please go and look for the, uh, what's his name again? The, the Max, the Max what players? The, the Max Fisher players. Look for the Max Fisher players doing the um, movie clips from the MTV Movie Awards. <laughs> yeah. Oh. Because there was a year where they did, like, play versions, a lot of miming. <laughs> and they do, like, Armageddon or something? And right. and Out of Sight with him in the uh, trunk of the car. With <laughs> yeah. yeah. Oh, my God. It's so yeah. funny. Excuse me, officer. Can we borrow your car? Go. It's all good. So, yeah, that's all I did this week. Nothing fresh, uh, but, all right. all, but all shit. <laughs> so, I've got some, some old and some new shit. Um, September is not the best movie month, but my wife and I are dedicated to popcorn and movies. Um, <laughs> God bless you. So, that's why we saw Harry Potter 3. But uh, we also went and saw, in the theater... Singing in the Rain. Oh, nice, nice. Now, this is a packed house, and, like, this movie is killing. Mm -hmm. Like, the audience is laughing and clapping and having a great old time. Oh, yeah. It's a classic for a reason. It's always good. It always works. And on the big screen, it's even better. Even better. Yep. Donald O'Connor is a fucking maniac. (laughs) This guy outdances Gene Kelly every time they share the screen. He he eats Gene Kelly's screen space and that ain't easy because Gene Kelly is directing for Gene Kelly. To give props to Donald O'Connor, I mean, he did make several movies centered around a talking mule named Francis and he pulled it off. So the man has got talent. And to give it to Gene Kelly, he was directing so he didn't want to blow away uh, his co-star. He kept uh, the choreography at pace with what he could do so that they could work together. Yeah. But that- yeah, well, the, the best, yeah, some of the best bits are the two of them together. There's the vaudeville act, the beginning of yeah. Singing in Rain, and then there's the Moses supposes his toes are roses. The Moses supposes erroneously. The Moses, he knows his toes are roses, and Moses supposes his toes to be. 
Moses supposes his toes are roses, but Moses supposes erroneously. For Moses, he knows his toes aren't roses, as Moses supposes his toes to be. But of course, make him laugh is Donald O'Connor's uh, O'Connor's solo, and um, the the legend is that they shot all of that, and he like was hospitalized. And then they had to reshoot it because there were technical issues with either the film or the sound or whatever. And he had to redo the whole thing. And the dude was smoking four packs a day. Um, that, was, that was back when they were committed. Yeah. Of course the booze helps. <laughs> I mean, he became a heavy alcoholic. So. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, Singing in the Rain uh, definitely kills, but that... that a uh, big long Broadway thing that he does at the end Broadway is, baby. is shit. It's terrible. It sucks. It goes on forever and uh, kills the whole the see, movie. No, I mm, okay. Here's the thing. That's that whole movie is a comment on Hollywood, right? So it starts as something you could see them doing as a stage show in the '30s, and it evolves into what was then the current day of musicals and becomes yeah. such a massively enormous impossible number that when they cut to them then saying yeah that sounds like a great idea let's do it that's the joke <laughs> it's, <Yeah>. like, <laughs> it's very weird out uhf in a way yeah 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 but i i i, I, I just I want to say the, the actual singing in the rain number my favorite story of that gene kelly had like a horrible flu the entire time they were shooting that and he's getting drenched in water and he's trying oh, yeah, to be that's... smiling and that looks miserable. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And he was he got wet feet throwing up all yeah. over the place. But Gene <laughs> Kelly, I'm always amazed. He does these huge Michael Jordan like leaps without bending to do the jump. You know, like it's all in his ankles. He'll just be standing there and go woo, flying through the air. Yeah. And you a, don't see that again anymore. Gene Ke- that movie taught me that I needed to practice smiling in a mirror so that I could take like pictures when people are just taking photographs because <laughs> that's that's clearly a practiced smile right but it's effective and it's photogenic and i'm like oh so that's the thing you got to do yeah the other the other great story about gene kelly it's in the commentary on on the 80s twilight zone episode that he did that was written by and the commentary is harlan ellison and they tell the story of how gene kelly uh would deliberately give a shitty performance unless it was his close-up to force the editors to use his close-up every time. <laughs> Very shrewd. Yeah. Yeah. It sounds like uh, a dickheaded mood, but but move, but let's face it, it's smart. Yeah. I, it's I, it's it's genius, but yeah. it's an asshole move, yeah. I, as I, an actor. I love that the whole movie is about using one actress to dub another actress, and in reality, Gene Hagen did the singing for Debbie Reynolds, yes. who was doing the singing for Gene Hagen. <laughs> Yes. Yeah. It's uh Yeah. It's it's weird in in retrospect how much Debbie Reynolds um looks and sounds not only like her older self but also like Carrie Fisher mm-hmm. when you watch this movie. You, the the family uh the genes are strong there. Yeah. Yeah. It's very weird. All right. And then last night I went to a concert. Dun, I saw dun. The well, first the opening act wasn't even on the tickets. It was a band called Tobacco. Nice. Uh, Tobacco does a song called "Stretch Your Face," which is the theme song <laughs> to uh, Silicon Valley. Okay. That that thing is so that 
I mean, it was really just three people standing up. It was basically a DJ act. They had no stage show except for like some videos they were showing on little ground screens. But they were fine. They 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 got the job done. And then the real opening act was the Jesus and Mary Chain. Ta-da. Now, I've never seen the Jesus and Mary Chain live, but I learned something about nostalgia acts last night. Which is, if your act was, in the first place, that you were just kind of standing on stage gazing at your own shoes, you can do that for the rest of your life and be just as good. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, they're not really an animated stage show. now, kids. Plan now. Was was there a lot of, uh, like, fog machine blacklight stuff going on? Oh, the the whole... It's an indoor uh, venue. It's the Comerica Theater, and it is just filled with smoke and yeah. it got it got even more so as the night went on but i mean yeah tons of smoke this was an assault okay this is the jesus of mary chain and they're like um you know they're loud right they're super freaking loud yeah they are the jesus and mary chain um and, and they're just hitting the strobes constantly like anybody who has epilepsy is dead by halfway through the jesus <laughs> and mary chain set uh, um but what, what I found most interesting about it was, I think I prefer their sound live to recorded, because at that volume level, you can hear more of the notes they're playing behind all the feedback, and there's more of the energy behind it. Uh, so I was actually really pleasantly surprised by the Jesus and Mary chain. It was it was like going back to 1991. Yeah, that was the last tour I saw when they did for Automatic, I think it was, and. Uh... That was a fun show, but I just remember it being really super dark and lots of fog, and uh, yeah, <laughs> very goth, very goth man. Well, they're almost a punk band, really. I mean, and by punk, I mean more like the you know the first wave of punk, like Ramones or you know Sex Pistols, in that they're basically playing rock and roll riffs, really loud and really fast and and really sloppy, like. You know, we're we're 30 years in, and these guys aren't very good at, you know, the instruments they're playing. They're not trying to be. <laughs> right? Or are they? They're so good, they don't, they don't to need be. to be. Yeah. Yeah. They're the Jesus and Mary chain. They, they get to do that shit, and, and it, it works great. Okay. And then um, the headliner, Nine Inch Nails. What can we say about Nine Inch Nails is new tour so i guess this was the kickoff week for their tour like that we were the second show of the whole tour um did he get drunk and storm off the stage he did not did he um, break anything no no um they they leaned heavily on the downward spiral i think this is the 25th anniversary of downward spiral and they played at least 50 percent of that album and they only played one song off a of Pretty Hate Machine, so that was kind of disappointing. Well, for you, but some yeah, people, for me, some people like the Downwards Did they, I'm sure they played uh, March of the Pigs. Uh, yes. Okay. Actually, it was, um, they they played that. They played. I mean, they started the show with Mister Self Destruct, followed by Piggy. Okay. Um. So at first we're like, oh shit, is he just going to play Downward Spiral in order?
does it sound live though? Because the record always bugs the shit out of me because it's that loud, soft, loud, soft thing. And uh, it's really hard sometimes when you just want to listen to it. But it's like, why is it the earth shaking? And then I can't hear anything. If, if Jesus and Mary Chain was an assault, this is a sustained bombing. Um, it was loud. It was... The, the mix was actually better for Jesus and Mary Chain. Uh, the low end was getting eaten a bit. Um, and it was just ridiculously loud on the loud parts. So the quiet parts were actually really great. It was like, oh, okay, yeah. Sounds like a rock concert. You know. Um... <laughs> Ah, my ears it are was, bleeding. It was good. He's he's wisely gotten his guitarist, uh, I guess, has a scream that can pass for his screen, at least in a live <laughs> setting, so he isn't doing the high-pitched Smart. screaming parts. Okay. Yeah. Because like, Good job, sucks. Trent. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Dude's in his mid-50s, right? Yeah. Um, I so do think eventually... if I saw Nine Inch Nails live, I would love for them to open with Pinion. That song seems like made for opening a show. And just not letting people know the show has started. <laughs> they did something similar, but it wasn't Pinion. Uh, uh, so, at one point, he got out a tambourine. And I can say... <laughs> say no more. Say no more. This is, alone is just funny without anything this else. This is yeah. definitive proof that the tambourine cannot ever be badass period <laughs> unless you're in the partridge badass family in this context it's never gonna be oh the partridge family is the only group that's ever pulled off the badass tambourine but 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 then he he does have that new ep where he has the songs with the saxophone trent reznor is playing the saxophone nice. in this show. God, that gives um, me a bad feeling. That makes me feel like the flu. I hate like, that idea. Does, it evokes images of Kenny G somehow. No, it, I mean, it, actually, he pulls that off. He can make the saxophone badass. <laughs> okay. Um, but he, so God Break Down the Door, which, which is the single from the new EP, I don't particularly like the recording, but live it makes a lot more sense. And I think only if it's running through a MIDI that's that has samples of people screaming, you know. So it's not the sound <laughs> of the saxophone. It's ah, 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 ah. that would be good. <laughs> well, I mean, you're you're being beaten to death by the drums, right? That you can feel it just beating your whole body from both sides, you know. And then there's saxophone. Um, it, it it was more of like it almost felt like the Adrian Ballou bits in the Laurie Anderson concert. There, he yeah. was he was trying to take the audience somewhere, and then he actually did another piece that had the saxophone and the guitarist was playing a xylophone. Um, <laughs> and a couple songs, cool. a couple songs later, he one of the like two or three times he ever even like took a break and spoke to the audience. He's like, "So I gotta ask you guys, did did we take it too far with the saxophone?" Like, I think maybe we've finally gone too far. Uh, it's always fun when you catch the early bits of a tour, though, because they're still workshopping it. So, yeah, it, it would be fun. Been to- really good at handling self-consciousness. Yeah. Yeah. I, th- I mean, he's been doing film scores, right? And so he's trying yeah. to see if he can bring his audience to a new place. And the audience is a bunch of, you know, drunk, stoned-ass Arizona people who... You know, just want to hear the downward spiral, um, and and scream along with it. And so, no, they weren't really having it. 
which is too bad because it was actually uh, I thought it was a pretty bold choice for mo- for a live show. Uh, it was really well performed. The light show was straight up lights. There's no lasers or anything. It was just lights, but they were very cleverly done. So a lot of lo-fi effects and so much fog. Like, <laughs> ridiculous amounts of fog to the point where to see Trent Reznor at some points, they just have a dude holding a light uh, get up next to him and shine it on him because you can just see his torso lit from this light <laughs> sticking out of just fog. Now I just have um, images of Spinal Tap in my head. Thank you. <laughs> so, yeah, it was a good show. It was not a great show. Um, okay. He's definitely, I think, he's definitely at that point in his career where he's like, I want to show you something new. And the audience is like, play the hit! Freebird! Freebird! <laughs> yeah. God, so, we are experiencing that thing that when I was in high school and they had Peter, Paul and Mary on PBS in concert. And I remember thinking, oh, that's so depressing. I'm so glad this isn't me. I'm so glad this isn't my generation having to watch this and go, oh, shit, I'm old. And now we're there. Now yeah. all of our like punk rock heroes are doing the greatest hits tours. And oh, oh yeah. he, he, he introduces one song. He's like, here's a song. From one of our underrated albums, which means it could be any song, because like you guys, all of our albums are underrated. Yeah, it's I everything think. after you know? Downward Spiral, <laughs> isn't it? Yeah, that's that's what much. he said to the audience. Yeah, uh, you know, he's, he's he's fully aware of it. Um, but whatever, it was it was a fun show. Uh, but I like the Jesus and Mary Jane slightly more. Go figure. Good on you. Good on you. Word. And that's it for the fresh shit. Woo! <laughs> Fresh does go better. <laughs> okay, so in our, in our uh, I guess it was in our last show, it was our high school back-to-school show, Eric said, oh, hey, we should do a show called You're No Star Wars. <laughs> and I'm like, I'm totally stealing Eric's idea. Yes. Let's do that. Steak Eric. Because it's because <laughs> when you wrote it. Plain Steak Eric. When you wrote it, it came off as Steak Eric instead of Steel Eric. Oh, did my was that autocorrect that did that? Yeah, yeah. So, and, yeah. And now I've taken it as my pickle, Rick. Steak, <laughs> Eric. Steak, Eric. <laughs> Look, I'm a steak. <laughs> Call me meat. Uh, so anyway, I'm hoping that we can make this uh, sort of like the Logman shows. I'm hoping we can make this one of those recurring themes in the show, and that this could be episode one. Okay. Where we talk about just a handful. You know, maybe even just one a piece or, or, or whatever you guys want to do. But, I, but I'm hoping we can come back to this topic because there's a lot of movies that, like, just aren't Star Wars. I just want to say I love that idea because there's also a whole bunch of, having done some research, there's a whole bunch of subdivisions we could get into, like just the Roger Corman, you know, Star Wars film, Star Wars film. Right. Or the Correct. ones that were like, you know, they got funded because of Star Wars, but were actually good movies. And then, uh, yes. and my favorites are always the ones that uh, basically are just total cash-ins in between like 78 and 80 that are yeah. just yeah. exist, that only exist because there was a zeitgeist for Star Wars. Yeah. And it continued into the early 80s because they were like, after Empire Strikes Back, it was, oh, are those the new rules? Okay, we'll yeah. make it yeah. look like that. <laughs> exactly. Yep. Exactly. So I said this in a previous episode and I said it in the intro, but the, the thing to remember here is that we are largely in a pre-VHS era and there's barely cable. Mm-hmm. So when a movie leaves the theater, unless it's like getting shown in its edited form on television, it's scarce. It's gone. 
and that that's just something that doesn't happen anymore but yeah. for you know for our generation star wars comes in and just you know grabs everyone's attention and then goes away if we had to go back to that time i would be legitimately terrified that any movie i like i am never going to get to see again because it's going to be the fuck gone and that was the truth of every film well or if you if you lived in a small town like i did most of the time in new mexico uh it may not even show up and then mm. and then what do you get nothing yeah. so but it also meant that everybody saw the same thing around the same time yeah and uh, there was a cultural conversation it's kind of like game of thrones is right now game of thrones is the closest i can come to this where everyone like goes in at the same time on it and then it goes away for a while so it's kind of like that world that's fair anyway um so you're right there's there's like hey we could make a shit ton of money if we could get some of that star wars uh money and and everyone's jonesing for it so okay. people come up with all kinds of crap can i just hey, uh, talk about some of that crap can i just do an honorable mention because we don't really have to talk about it sure uh but this one is to me is always one of the more supreme examples of how egregious this is and it's when uh james bond skipped moonraker moonraker yeah it basically at the end of spy who loved me they actually put in the end title card uh james bond will be back in uh uh, what was the one for your eyes only and then they took a look at star wars and went oh shit we need to get in on this and so they just repurposed the same plot from spy who loved me but put it in space and then called it moonraker based on the book but it had absolutely nothing to do with the book at all there's a part in in Moonraker where I guess when he opens the mechanical door to something, it makes the sound <clears throat> it makes the sound from uh, uh, Close Encounters of the Third Kind. <laughs> yeah, it's like there are all these little in jokes to it's so bad films. Yeah, and yeah, and then the awful. the big climax at the end is the Space Marines and the lasers and the stuff. Uh, so I just wanted to note that one because it, it was just solely a way for them to cash in on the star wars thing my my first exposure to moonraker was i was being babysat by my grandparents and i'm like star wars star wars i want a star wars something i'm bored <laughs> yeah, yeah. and my grandfather is like here here kiddo you know you need some james bond and this is kind of star wars he hands me the novelization of moonraker yeah. <laughs> which is nothing like star wars but good on him for no, getting it really wasn't yeah Oh, you think I read that? No. Oh, no. no. It's like, what is this bullshit? <laughs> Good I boy. I said Star Wars, old man. What is this crap? Uh, well, my, anyway. the, only, the only notable thing about Moonraker for me as just a, an entity of, of the Bond universe uh, is the, the last line where they cut and Bond is in the space capsule. And then I think it's Q says, I think he's attempting re-entry. Yeah. Because <laughs> he's trying to nail Holly Goodhead. Uh, other than that, you- n- no. If you think about it, the blonde girl at the end of Better Off Dead who shows up for no reason at the ski resort to, to like, smile at Ricky the bully yeah. is the blonde girl that that falls in love with Jaws at the end of Moonraker. It's the <laughs> yeah, same thing, yeah. right? Anyway, we're going to uh, throw our baddie a, only, a, a nerd I, bone. I'll just say the one good thing about that film was Shirley Bassey because I think they knew they were in trouble and so they said, "Well, she did <laughs> she did two great themes. Let's get her." Yeah. And it's a great theme even though the lyrics make no sense. I love yeah. hearing that song. So yeah. 
So I just wanted to bring up Moonraker because that to me is the most shameless example of jumping on that bandwagon because it's it's, yeah. it's solely there to just draw people in by comparison. It's ah, got the word moon awful. in it. That means space. <laughs> yeah, space. and Raker. So, yeah. space. I know you are, mate. Yeah, we're both in space. space. Anyway, so um, when we were chatting about this episode. We may or may not have agreed that each one of us would pick a movie. Did we actually pull that off? I did. Okay, yeah, Eric, yeah. what's your movie? Let's go. Flash with yours. Gordon. I I said dun, this initially. Oh! Flash dun, dun, Gordon dun, dun. is awesome. <laughs> I love Flash Gordon. It's <laughs> it's awful and great. That's all I can say. Well, and that's an no. interesting Send choice. In War Rocket Ajax. I still <laughs> say that for no reason whatsoever. <laughs> Send in War Rocket Ajax. Uh, well, it's an interesting think- choice because uh, Star Wars itself is actually drawn from inspiration mm-hmm. yeah, on George the Flash Lucas Gordon serials. wanted to make Flash Gordon, and they wouldn't give him the rights. And so he yeah. said, okay, fuck you, then. I'll make yeah. my own thing. So it's all Even very circular. Even the Star Wars crawl is actually a Flash Gordon crawl. Yeah. yeah. It's stolen from Flash Gordon serials. <laughs> I don't... So, so here's the thing. Is this not a Star Wars? Because Flash Gordon almost succeeds for me. Like... It it was campy and silly, but I liked it. Yeah, that's I think because it it had other things going for it than Star Wars ness, but it was trying to market to be a you know another sci fi Star Wars film. Yeah, but there's no well, connection. There it, it isn't really space. It's the world of Ming the Merciless. It's you know Hawkmen and well, and it's and it's got a very solid production design that's distinctive which i think mm-hmm. uh for movies of this ilk uh, if you're going to compare yourself to star wars you need to have some sort of visual flow through mm-hmm. and flash yeah. gordon definitely has it in spades and that's why it's to me i like i like it because it's just a it's just fun to watch because it's really right. interesting so uh, flash gordon is a football player he's in, a fo- in this yeah, one. football yeah. star who uh, is uh, taken, I guess, on a rocket ship to... They don't really describe where. Uh, yeah. Where the storms that are destroying Earth are coming from uh, and ends up in this universe that is run by Ming the Merciless, a dictator who has several planets with people on them who are his minions and yeah. serve like him. Von Sado, and, and crazy right? Max von Sydow. Crazy Max von Lucius, I'm... Bored. <laughs> and uh yeah and and where let's see one two three james bond number four uh Dalton, is Dalton's in it yeah uh, and, and brian blessed is the hawk man that one right. kills me and there's an actress in it who in there who is so goddamn beautiful it hurts your eyes i don't know her name but is it uh, the princess yes yeah and they put her in those uh, those skimpy costumes because that's sort of a parallel to because this is the same time that the Buck Rogers TV show had come out. Yes, which is another pretty much shameless ripoff where they repurposed the old serial into this new thing. Uh, and then you had uh, Pamela Hemsley as the princess in that, and that's parallel to what was going on in Flash Gordon. So it's right. just there's a lot of that going on. I could do a whole thing on the Saturday morning cartoon show they did of Flash Gordon because that's yeah. oh yeah genius that had too a badass title sequence that yeah. thing and it was the first cartoon show I've ever seen I think probably the only cartoon show I've ever seen where they had a continuing story and a conclusion I couldn't believe it like I was such a huge fan of this show <laughs> and it concluded and I'm like what the fuck are you talking about give me more it's, it's like nope that's that's one one contained story 
Okay, so is the woman uh, Princess Aura or Dale Arden? Uh, Aura. Princess Aura. Dale Arden yeah. was just the Great. sidekick who comes along with him. Yeah. So according to the internet, uh, Princess Aura was played by an actress named of Ornella Muti. That's right. Yeah, that's right. Some European model. He's Italian. Italian. Yeah. yeah. And this is a Dino De Laurentiis production, so it, it, like the last of his really big pushes. This and Dune. Uh, yeah. But he was a big, big-time producer in Italy during the Hocinecita era. He produced one of Fellini's films. He was a big deal kind of um, scumbag. And he, he could get money together <laughs> for films. He just, you know, it was more about the money than the art. But he would let the filmmakers do whatever the fuck they wanted, as long as it was something he could sell. Yeah. So it's, like, it's kind of like, uh, you know, he's a pimp, but... He lets the hooker do what she needs to do to get get her job done. Does that make sense? Well, yeah. Well, I like it too because it's because and I we had talked about this. I don't know what show, a couple shows back, but the guy that made Flash Gordon, Mike Hodges, uh, got his start with Get Carter with uh, my Okai. No way! That was him. Yeah, we talked about that. So Mike Hodges oh, made Get Carter, and then uh, like ten years later, uh, made Flash Gordon. And they're oh. totally different movies. It's so yeah, weird to me. Yeah, but Get Carter is equally brilliant. So, things I loved about the Flash Gordon movie, things that I remember about the Flash Gordon movie, uh, Flash's NFL merchandising was such that he had a white t-shirt with a logo on his chest that said Flash. <laughs> and he wore the shirt. <laughs> he wore his own shirt, the fucking douche is, nozzle. Yeah. <laughs> but then again, he's, so a, amazing. he's a football star, and presumably he yeah. has his own deal with Nike. Yeah. Yeah, man, you got, you got to have a brand, right? Yeah, um, there's a there's a, actually a scene where they throw a silver football to him as part of a battle, and yeah. one of the women is actually chanting "Go Flash, Go!" like a cheerleader. Yeah, that was Dale Arden. <laughs> yeah, was Dale. that was Dale yeah. Arden. Yeah, yeah. And then my favorite bit was, at least in memory, was there was a big fight scene with um with uh, James Bond. Dang it! I suddenly uh, his Dalton. name is gone. Dal- Dal- Dalton. Timothy Dalton. Right. On a tilting circular platform that has like spikes coming out yeah. of it. At random. Yeah, that's yeah. when they the they were taking kingdom. Yeah, they were taken up to the Birdman flying island thing, and then so then you have like the floor on the gimbal with the spikes that come out of it and, and whatnot. Like that's high concept. That's great. Yeah. I love that. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, it's very movie serially. That's what's so fun about it because they just they didn't make any bones about what they were sort of repurposing. Another casting note: Peter Wingard is in that i can't remember the name of the character but he was this great uh tv actor in england in the 60s who was uh in the closet and then he got caught and his career was ruined because everyone found out he was gay when they made flash gordon the director was like no fuck it get him in there he's great and his voice is so amazing yeah it's, Clytus. it's one of those yeah it's one of those uh, those examples of how you know prejudices really really do remove some really great talent yeah you know mm. it's like if i wonder how many people we would how many great performances we would have had for several decades if we had not been such assholes how many great black actors were there that didn't happen because we wouldn't let them have a job none yeah but this is one where you you, you just i i don't know i every time he's on screen even though he's on a ma- in a mask i love it because he's so despicable well, i like I like the fact that uh, that when the Orb did their song, what was it called, Earth, Gaia, 
and yeah. they basically just lift wholly the uh, the bit from Flash Gordon where Clytus is talking to Ming uh, and all that, and it kind of rolls into their their sort of electronica thing. That's always stuck with me. It's a good one. What plaything can you offer me today? An obscure body of the SK system, Your Majesty. The inhabitants refer to it as the planet Earth. How peaceful it looks. So, the orb is awesome, but we we shouldn't uh, walk away from Flash Gordon without reminding everybody the Queen did the soundtrack, people. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Queen. Queen. And the title song and that, is that one does of the best it. songs. It's yes. fun. It's Amazing. fun. It's high octane. It always puts me in a good mood. The the tenacious D version is really good too. <laughs> to borrow a phrase from Eric, it makes me feel like I could run full front into a wall. <laughs> so, do you have anything else to say about Flash Gordon? Well, why is it not Star Wars in keeping with the theme of this show? Um, mm. Yeah, I think that's a marketing thing. They wanted it. The, the thing is, all sci-fi in the 70s was you know, more like a Michael Crichton book. It was a concept. Yeah. And it was approached as cheaply as possible. And yeah. then Star Wars happened, and everyone said, oh, all we have to do is like spend money on model effects? Well, fuck yeah. yeah. And so Flash Gordon is kind of that. It's a dopey story with a lot of sizzle. I well, think Flash Gordon has a little bit too much 66 Batman in it. Like, it's mm-hmm. a little too campy. Well, and Barbarella, and it, it definitely drew yeah. its inspiration yeah. from the, the, like, the late 60s European Ooh, sci-fi Barbarella. stuff. Definitely a lot of Barbarella in that. Yeah. 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 Um, and and I guess, I, I don't know. I'm going to say visual design. I mean, one of the things that, mm-hmm. uh, two things that make uh, Star Wars Star Wars is the, is the visual design and the music. Yeah. yeah. Right. So Ralph McQuarrie and John Williams are probably more responsible for Star Wars being Star Wars than oh, George yeah. Lucas is. Oh, yeah. Without that Williams score, it'd just be another shitty space opera. Yeah, so I think I think that does make a difference. Yeah, but yeah, well, I, would you know, Flash say, Gordon. I would say Flash Gordon is not Star Wars because it's its own thing, and its own thing is pretty damn good. But yeah. to market, well, why didn't it we get the sequel? A, um, uh, because it, it failed it, utterly. <laughs> yeah, it, it did not perform great. I think for the year 1980 that it came out, uh, I think it it capped out. <sighs> trying to figure out. But it was competing and, with Empire Strikes Back then. Yeah, and a, and a bunch of other stuff. So it yeah it didn't uh, it didn't exactly set the world on fire. Mm-mm. So I think they made no, their money was, back. It was considered an embarrassing disaster, I think. Yeah, but yeah, again, I was nine and I said this is the shit. Academy Award winner right here. Yeah, yeah. No, well, didn't it actually end with a the end question mark? Yeah, <laughs> and, yeah. And, and it had that like was laughing. Yeah, yeah, it did. It's yeah. Uh, what was it? The oh yeah, the end. Or is it? <laughs> That's yeah, it, one of those okay. kinds of things that they so, stopped yeah. doing in the sixties because it was ridiculous. So Flash Gordon decidedly not Star Wars. I think for me it's just the, the pure camp level of it. Mm-hmm. Uh yeah. More than anything. 
Go Flash Go is where you you're not Star Wars. <laughs> Basically, yeah. Yeah. Uh, and also the main actor was probably the weakest part of the cast and he's running the thing. So Yeah. Yeah, that's true. Ugh. He was he was not so great. Yeah. Because we all can't right. think of his name at all. I mean, we, I think we just named every supporting player. It was and Sam's, oh, yeah, some I think I could Sam's haircut was... more than I could say him. <laughs> yeah, yeah Sam up in Ted. That's all. If you've seen Ted, he shows up in Ted. Sam J. Jones. Ah, okay. Sam J. Jones. Nobody yeah. cares. Nobody cares. Nobody cares. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. Um, so, Chris, what was your movie that was not Star Wars? Uh, I'm going to jump ahead a few years after the craze kind of died down just a little. Uh, and this one kind of picked up on another burgeoning craze and shrev- sh- like shredded it all into one weird, indigestible ball. Uh, but 1983's uh, Space Hunter, Adventures in the Forbidden Zone. Oh, good choice. I'm not sure I've seen this. Uh, I am not surprised. The best thing I can tell you about this movie, uh, apart from it, was one of the early 80s 3D movies that was right. all the craze. And it was really shitty because they kind of tagged on at the end. Yeah. Uh, oh, but Maybe I did see it for the... Th- I don't know. It was either yeah. this or there was another one like around the same time. Yeah, it was. Uh, uh, it was like uh, Jared's like Metal Storm, Jared's, the Adventures of Jared Storm Sin. Is the one I saw. Yeah, yeah. Metal Storm, the, the the destruction of Jared Sin. Yeah, it's a, <laughs> yeah. basically the same shit. Uh, but Space Hunter, it produced by Ivan Reitman, uh, and it stars a guy named Peter Strauss, who I think was in Rich Man Poor Man, uh, early Molly Ringwald. Uh, so she was pre-16 Candles in this one, so she was still kind of gangly. Uh, and then Ernie Hudson is also in it, pre-Ghostbusters. And the huh. bad guy is uh, Michael Ironside, who nice. was, in, who was in, you know, people know from Scanners. The and, best Canadian you can hire to be a bad guy. <laughs> yeah, and he's this, like, weird freak called Overdog. Uh, <laughs> and the, But the best thing about this movie is that it... it was released on May 20th, 1983, and that's historic because it was five days before Return of the Jedi came out. So basically, their whole marketing strategy was to just dump it and hope that people were hungry enough for Star Wars that they would run out and see this thing before Star Wars came out. I bet it out. works. Oh, God. Uh, it made, like, I don't know, $16 million or something, so it made its money back, which is... Return you know. of the Jedi, the Star Wars movie in which teddy bears start chanting "Go Flash Go." Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But um. <laughs> but but Space Hunter is just all kinds of shitty. Uh, the main character's name is Wolf, and he's basically a Han Solo type. Uh, and he takes this freelance gig to go rescue these three beautiful women that crash landed on this planet that's was overrun by a virus, and it sort of becomes this Mad Maxi thing. Uh, with vehicles that match. Is he a Han Solo type or is he a Bill Pullman and Spaceballs type? He's more Han Solo. He's not quite okay. that Spaceball-ish. Uh, and then yeah, he's one got... one thing I noticed with all these sci-fi movies. There is no knockoff Luke Skywalker because he's a putz. Yeah. It's like... Don't Flash no, no, Gordon no, no, is a knockoff the... Luke Skywalker. A little yeah. bit. Yeah, the, kind of... The guy in Crawl is definitely a knockoff Luke Skywalker. Yeah. Uh, okay, yeah. But yeah. the more interesting yeah, oh, ones, there. I guess, are always Han Solos. Well, this one's yeah. a little bit different because it doesn't actually blatantly rip off Star Wars in, in so so many beats, uh, but it does take enough. It's got like the spunky princess. It's you know they've got to sneak into the fortress and they've got to do this and do that. And Ernie Hudson basically looks like he was hired solely because he looks a lot like Billy D. Williams. 
And so it's they've got a lot of parallels, but it's just a total shameless thing, and the, the effects are really shitty. And the 3D, I remember seeing it in theater, and the 3D was really disappointing. Uh, it's just really bad. But it, it but this may be the movie that that is responsible for Ernie Hudson being in Ghostbusters. Yeah, because Ivan Reitman was the the link, the producer, uh, and then and Harold Ramis has a cameo as a voice actor. Uh, so yeah, hmm. got a lot. Got a lot going for it and nothing to recommend, but it is on Amazon Prime, so if you ever want to just on a lark watch it, uh, go ahead. I if dare it's not you. in 3D, I'm not going. Well, you can sit yeah. really close to the TV, uh, but you don't Cross need it. Cross your eyes. And yeah. let me just say, I am still waiting for the prequel to explain the crimes of Jared Sin. You know, because <laughs> it, it, we started with, with, oh boy, we're finally going to get rid of that guy, and I yeah. don't know why. Ah. Uh, well, it's it didn't. A different movie. Yeah, totally different movie. No, or I'm still is stuck on it? it? No, I'm still stuck on it. Title. The destruction of Jared Singh. Well, like, who the fuck is that man? I, I can't that. get like, over it. Movie well, titles were that that the make that think you care about yeah. the yeah character you've never well, heard of. And to be fair, I, I did see Jared Singh in the theater as well in '84 when that came out, and again, crappy 3D, and it looked like they just recycled a lot of the same vehicles from Space Hunter. <laughs> so it was like the same sort of vibe it's like this this mad max road warrior vibe uh where it's just everything looks cobbled together oh so bad sounds like uh, another another mini show we can do on the titles because you just reminded me of uh uh, uh ballistic versus you know sex versus uh, x, x versus, versus sever, sever. <laughs> yeah ballistic like, huh what yeah. why do i care yeah. oh yeah that's right i don't oh i don't yeah <laughs> uh so yeah this movie is so forgettable i for, you've said the title like three or four times and i still can't remember it's it space hunter okay it's not space Metal Storm, the hunter <laughs> no it's space hunter the destruction of jared sin <laughs> It's your son, Gary. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, geez. Okay, so that's anything else to say about Space Hunter? No, no. I just brought it up because of the whole opening five days before Jedi. It just made me laugh. That's, <laughs> so, that's amazing. Yeah, and it's we're still talking about it 30 years later. So, on, on. Very good. <laughs> All right. So, Whoa. my movie... I, if, you're, if we're going to do a series of shows that are about not being Star Wars... I think that we have to hit Battle Beyond the Stars. Yes. Oh, yeah. I didn't pick that because I thought one of you already had. Oh, but definitely. yeah, I did. I had a I feeling right that, on it. I had a feeling that Brian would, would take this one on. Yeah. Battle Beyond the Stars, which I don't know about you, but I'm not sure anybody ever saw it in the theater, but you sure as hell saw it on cable. Yeah. Am I right? Yeah. Am I, well, okay. I, I tried to find the box office postings for 1980 for it. And it's not even listed. It didn't even make the cut for the top 100. <laughs> it's not on there at all. But the cast is like a best of of TV stars, isn't it? I mean, it 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 really does feel like a movie of the week. We're gonna we're gonna get into that. We're yeah. gonna get into the cast. And we're gonna get into the crew. But but first of all, we have to. This is the Roger Corman Star Wars knockoff. And this at the time was the most expensive Roger Corman film ever, with a budget of two. <laughs> million dollars and i gotta i gotta tell you it doesn't look half bad it doesn't and that's because james cameron did the special effects yeah he was the art director um yeah so we'll come back to that but i I think that's it's 
they deliberately like, okay, we're gonna do a Star Wars knockoff. Well, Star Wars was a riff on the Hidden Fortress, so we're gonna do the Seven Samurai. This is <laughs> yeah. a take on the Seven Samurai or the Magnificent Seven in space. Yeah. In space! <laughs> and, and just to belabor the point, the, the main planet that is being defended uh, is called Akira, which yes. is a direct nod to Akira Kurosawa yeah, when they stole it. So true. <laughs> fucking John uh, Sayles. Actually a rather sloppy one, yeah. Well, John Sayles wrote the script, and he peppered in a lot of stuff like that. So, yeah. yeah. John Sayles wrote the script, people. Yeah. Oscar yeah. winner, John Sayles. Um, so this movie is like a launching pad for a whole lot of big people. Bill Paxton was a carpenter on building sets for this movie. <laughs> They're going to tell me Bill Paxton was in it. And I'm like, where? I wish. I wish. No, he was just brown nosing, <laughs> yeah, you know, Galen was... Hurd and James Cameron. Yeah. Background um, person number three who gets shot. Yeah. Um, so it starts off with a, sh- what else? A shot of a giant ship slowly growing by the screen, which is how crawl starts and how star wars starts and how Spaceballs starts and and yeah you look at this and you're like how does this look so good and the reason is james cameron did the special yeah effects. yeah well i did get to the the opening ship thing too that kills me and on a lot of these that i've i've seen and it until you know the tricks that star wars did that revolutionized it uh it, it really wouldn't matter but now you can totally see that oh they're just pulling this camera along a dolly on this really intricate model i mean that's yeah. every single one of them looks like that for some reason but in star wars it really doesn't i can't figure out why i mean lighting the size of the model has a lot yeah. to do with it because star wars has a lot of just little fiddly bits all over the models to give it scale and yeah. a whole Where- lot of love <laughs> Sorry. Shut up. Anyway, um, so the thing that really just kills all of these special effects is the sound design. The sound design in this movie is using sound effects you've heard a million times for 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 stuff, and it it it's terrible. One it, one of the uh, the sound effects is so goofy that during one of the space battles, I realized that if I just played the sound. You, I could pass it off as dubstep if I added drums. I, I will <laughs> add <laughs> Well, the thing, because I just watched it this week as well, uh, anticipating your, your selection, and mm-hmm. like there are certain sounds that they've lifted from like Battlestar Galactica. Yep. I heard some from Buck Rogers. I heard some yep. from the Flash Gordon cartoon. Yep. It's just like they ba- they just pulled every sound effect they could from all the pre-existing things. It's shameless. Can I just but- say I love the way you say the word cartoon? Cartoon. <laughs> cartoon. Like there's so much there's so much Midwest in it. It's just perfect. I'm sorry, go ahead. So the score is by James Horner. Yeah. It was um, one of his first oh ones, my too. God. Before Star Trek II. Yeah. Uh, before Krull. Um, yeah. James Horner, people. like, And he ultimately won an Oscar for his work on Titanic with James Cameron. Like, this yeah. this movie is important yeah. to the future of genre cinema. Yeah. It's the um, beginning of a lot, a lot of movie incest. Yeah, everybody you know, Terminator <laughs> everybody else. Movie. Yeah. Now, the cast, we have... Uh, Richard Thomas, who was John Boy. John Boy Walton! Yeah. Can I, John and, Boy? And he... Eric, you have that phrase, chunk of cancer. Yeah. John, John Boy has a chunk of cancer on his face. <laughs> yes. It's really distracting. Yeah, I was watching this with, with Nancy, who did not like it, by the way. She wanted to scratch her own eyes out. <laughs> but uh, 
But we kept every time Richard Thomas would come on in that big giant mold that's basically half of his face. Uh, we kept doing the bit from Austin members, Austin Powers Gold Member. You've got a <laughs> it's thing. like you've got a guaca mole. mole. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so you're the Most, 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 most excellent agent we've ever seen. Yes, most excellent agent we've ever seen. Thank you. Uh, he's in. He's in season one and two of The Americans, and he's still got that lump. And he's still yeah. a great actor. He's still yeah. a great yeah. actor. He was. He was in the stage production of um, The Humans that I saw, and he was a good actor. It just wasn't my favorite play. Yeah. Uh, John Saxon is our bad guy. Yeah. Who really doesn't have a lot to do in this? It's unfortunate. It's no, basically but he just has a scar over one of his eyes, so you know <laughs> he's, he's evil. Yeah. And he's missing the arm. And then when they do the the sentient uh, clan, <laughs> yeah. and they like attach the arm, and then they're sort of trying to make the arm kill him. <laughs> that is inspired. I love. Yeah, that that's scene. like that Evil Dead Two, right? Yeah, yeah basically. <laughs> before Evil Dead Two, yeah. Sam Raimi stole that bit. From Roger, Cor- I don't. I didn't even write down the name of the director because I've never heard of this guy. You never um, will again. There's a so George Papard, whose character is named Space Space Cowboy. Cowboy. Yeah. Uh, yeah. What can you the say about that? Hannibal, yeah. The only uh, uh, um, Hannibal for me. Yeah. <laughs> well, and this team. is yeah. Yeah. Well, this is that unfortunate part of his career. I mean, he'd already. Like Breakfast at Tiffany's and the Carpetbaggers and stuff like that was all in his rear view. And so he's reduced to doing things like Damnation Alley and this. Yeah. And then he gets the A team and then everything works out, I guess. Wow. <laughs> yeah. He's, uh, wow. Of course, the booze helps. I mean, this is another one where <laughs> yeah, exactly. his career was absolutely destroyed by alcohol. So. Oh, Jesus. <laughs> oh, I thought you were actually referring to the, the character because he's got like the, the portable yes. bar in his belt and he's yes. doing like scotch yes. and soda. He's not only so, uh, an alcoholic, yeah. he's really okay with being an alcoholic. He's yeah. a character. Of course, the booze helps. Yeah. So, and then... Robert Vaughn playing more or less the same character he plays in the Magnificent Seven. Yes, exactly. In Battle yeah. Beyond the Stars. Yeah, yeah. And then, um, and, and he's got that knee or shame. And he's got that perfectly quaffed hair. Uh, <laughs> yeah. We were we were distracted by it every time they would do a close up because <laughs> it's like this weird. It's almost like a pseudo hair shelf, but not quite. <laughs> I don't know how he does it. And then the connection too, because he would show up later. In like the third or fourth season of A Team with George Pippard, so there's your, so there's yeah. your link. And he was his new Rod- boss for a season or so. It's a Roger Corman joint. So Sybil Danning shows up. Yes, I love that. So Sybil Danning has an outfit that has a, a peekaboo <laughs> on her right boob that apparently Sybil Danning does not have a nipple on her right boob because there should have been one where this peekaboo is. Like, no, I've, I've, huh? seen her, I've seen her topless in other movies, and she does actually have a nipple there. I will vouch okay, for I that. believe you. I, okay. Unless I it's a paste you. on. Like, maybe there's, like, a piece <laughs> yeah. of plastic, a plastic nipple that they just sort of will hear. Well, to be fair, it's like they, it just cr- they just cram her into this weird spandex that's basically just got lots of slits cut in it. Yeah. Uh, so it's just, I mean, why even bother? Because that follows a motif of other stuff post-Star Wars, uh, where apparently they just had to sex up the women in the, the movies. Was uh, Sybil Danning the G-Shucks golly girl who's in love with no. John Boy, or was she like the sex no. kitten? She's the Valkyrie. She, yeah, yeah, she's the Valkyrie warrior. 
they have uh, three genders on their planet, that one. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. the the G Shucks girl, I don't remember her name, but her hair and makeup is startlingly similar. It looks exactly like Elizabeth Berkeley in Showgirls. Are we talking like, the, the, the the scientist daughter who goes yeah, along the scientist for the ride? daughter that's supposed to be the love this, interest. This is going to blow Eric's mind. That's the same actress that uh, was in To Live and Die in L.A. that was the informant for oh, uh, What's-His-Face. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you're right. That blew my mind. Yeah. So, you're welcome. And the only other thing I have to say about this movie, really, is that it has a sassy spaceship that oh, Christ, is I wanted to also punch that slightly thing. murderous. <laughs> like the spaceship really <laughs> wants to kill. I kid you not. We were watching this at home, and then whenever it would do some shitty retort, my wife just said, "I want to fucking kill that computer. I just want to. <laughs> I just want to kick it." <laughs> Die, spaceship! <And> yeah, <laughs> fucking sassy computer. Sassy. That's just. I love that word. <laughs> it's sassy. Sassy. So those were my notes. Anything you want, you guys want to say about Battle Beyond the Stars? I like that the ships all had unique character. You know, they, yeah. they were. Yes. you could tell they were not from the same. Well, they didn't look like they were from the same model maker. They weren't from the same planet. Yeah. You know, the way Star, the way Star Trek kind of uh, made yes. sure that they all had a unique look. Yeah, I like that. And what, that they and, all sort of reflected what they were saying about the the races in question, like the shared mind race makes sense the way that thing controls by all of them controlling it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, I liked that. I liked well, that those the costumes the, and makeup. Were so bad. I liked that the the planet <laughs> oh that God. hadn't been to war in years and years and years had an old piece of shit. You know, that yeah. used to be tough, but well, yeah, I liked that. I, I like the hive mind group because Brian brought up the the third eye on their forehead, which obviously <laughs> yeah, is just, just like wearing socks on their heads. <laughs> yeah, and, it, and it's like this thing, yeah, like glued to the middle of their forehead. But I just I just went with it and thought, well, maybe it's like a cultural thing. It's like a bindi or something. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's really fashion statement. Uh, yeah. There's like a lizard guy whose mouth doesn't really articulate. Yeah, who basically um, was just a, a really poor redux of the Gorn from. The Star Trek episode. I mean, it, more or less. Yeah. Not yeah. Not even that good. It's like <sighs> it's like they took the Gorn and the enemy mind makeup and made them both worse. <laughs> Basically. By a lot. Yeah. It was. Uh, it was not not that, good. The two and and the didn't go towards that. Well, and no, the it went uh, towards George Prepard and Robert Vaughn apparently. Yeah, apparently. <laughs> like, well, you know, you got to make money somehow. The bulk of that budget. But the the makeup for the the bad guy army. Which is like all of the mutant oh. weirdo freaks. It's like, come on, man, come on. It's it's just it was not any good because it's just it. it I guess stylistically, like a toxic it was Avenger look to it. Y- yeah, it's like this weird split kind of thing. It looked like the guy from Total Recall. Uh, no, no, no. You know what it looked like? It looked like the teddy bear gremlin from the William Shatner Twilight Zone of Nightmare okay. Twenty Thousand. Yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it if was Mike just Myers could had any hand in a remake of this. There would be a beautiful scene with two of them going. So why are we bad guys anyway? Because we're ugly. Oh, that makes me feel bad about myself. You know, it would yeah. be a, an explanation of how they're bad guys just because they look like Teddy Ruxpin mutants. Yeah. 
Well, I mean, let's not say that the dialogue here is good. One of those guys <laughs> said to the other guys, I said, remember Lobo? He disobeyed orders, and now Sabor's wearing his left foot. This is how we establish our, <laughs> yeah. our big bad. Well, I enjoyed all of the weird sexual innuendos that peppered in, that just randomly, though, and it was always stuff like, uh, I'm going to take them from behind, and then the person in the thing going, I don't like it when people come up from behind. <laughs> Come on, oh, wow, man. that's real. <laughs> yeah, it's it's in there. Uh, I I can't remember any of them because they're just throwaway, forgettable. But when they happened, it's just really jarring. It's like, did they really just say that? I, I like I like how every member of the Magnificent Seven had a line that encapsulated the theme of their character, which is then repeated by John Boy upon their death. <laughs> that is kind of exactly. cool. Is yeah. it cheesy okay. in the moment? Because like oh, I mean, on paper, that sounds like a good idea, and I just don't remember that. Yeah, it, no, it was. It, let's just say it was delivered with the same quality that everything else besides the visual yeah. effects was delivered, and the music. Okay. So. Oh, and and uh, another sidebar that might blow your mind. I just re- realized that the the woman on Akira who got left behind, but she was part of that opening council thing. I guess it was uh, John Boy's sister. Uh, mm. The actress—that's the same actress that played the the girl in New Heart. Uh, okay, the wife or the maid? No, the uh, the the girl that was the maid. Yeah, yeah. Oh, okay. I just just put two so, to two. <laughs> so <laughs> it's, yeah, it's like when, yeah, when you're hanging around, I mean, Roger—they made like they made this movie for two million dollars. They made eleven million in the theaters. Yeah, with this thing. And then he sold it to HBO for like another three quarters of a million dollars. He and knows HBO what he's doing. Put every dollar of that three quarters of a million back into showing Battle Beyond the Stars yeah. over and over, and so well, everybody saw this thing in pieces. At some well, point. and then and that set up his uh, later effort a couple years down the road called Space Raiders, which is another one of this ilk. Uh, because of the success of Battle Beyond the Stars. Yeah. So, so do I have to the, say why Battle Beyond the Stars isn't Star Wars? Uh yes. That um, is part of the uh the the, the premise, yeah. Be, because it's poorly acted. Um <laughs> Not because George it has no pacing and um the sound effects completely take all of the fun out of the good visual effects and music. Yes. Okay, I will accept all of that except for the poor acting. And here's why. Uh, but Uncle Owen, I was going to go into Tashi Station to pick up some Converter. <laughs> okay, uh, you're right. That means yeah. it is Star Wars. Congratulations to everybody involved. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Uh, of course, the booze helps. <laughs> <laughs> And that's going to do it for yet another episode of the Magnificently Huge Podcast. Please subscribe to the podcast, rate it on iTunes and Stitcher, and if you want to reach out to us, go to our website, maghuge.com, where you can find old episodes and links to our social media feeds, where you can contact us on Twitter, at maghuge, on Facebook, Magnificently Huge, on Instagram, Magnificently Huge, and you can email magnificentlyhuge at gmail.com. You can find links to all of those things on maghuge.com. Share us with your friends. Come back next week. We're going to have more of this. <laughs> <laughs>